really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can all over the globe. Uh, I support my New England Free Jacks locally. I support my USA Eagles, of course. I'm a fan of Scotland, of Connacht and the URC, the Highlanders and Super Rugby, and most recently of Waikato and the NPC. So what can you expect from this podcast exactly? Well, you can expect us to be here 52 weeks a year, that's for sure, regardless of how much rugby is being played, though obviously not a big issue at this time of year. So uh, you can also count on our weekly format, which goes as follows. Uh, we always start with current updates, but you know that's just what's happening with me personally at the moment. Uh, we'll look at a piece of news, at least one piece of news from all over the world, Rugby Union. We'll do thoughts of the week, what's interesting or annoying this week. So again, if something's bugging you, uh, I, I've been waiting quite a while for somebody to take me up on that, to reach out and tell me what I should put in there. Uh, of course, then we do the big part, the reviews and previews of recent and future action, in between which I give out my Diamond in the Ruck Award for my Player of the Week. If you want to get in touch, by all means, please do. I can always be found on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just shoot me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Uh, I've gotten several new countries on my list of listeners this week, and that's always so cool. So a quick shout out to my first ever listeners in Ireland. A little surprised by that one, I have to say. Uh, the Netherlands, Puerto Rico, Denmark, and Colombia. Welcome aboard. We are super happy to have you. Let's get to it. <laughs> So current updates, you know, the, the biggest thing to report from my own life is that my little five-year-old has gotten his first shot. You know, he's terribly afraid of needles. We were super worried about how it was going to go, but he was an absolute champ. And in a couple weeks when he gets his second jab, I'm just going to feel so relieved. You know, this last, wow, like almost two years at this point has just been hugely stressful on all of us, just as I'm sure it's been at least as stressful for every single one of you listening right now. So it's it's good to see at least, you know, a little a dim sort of flickering light at the end of the tunnel, you know? It's too good! It's too good! People have to know! That's right, Isaiah. It is too good. So I found an interesting article about a particularly odd uh, training day that England had prior to this autumn international window. So basically at their camp in Jersey, they were given what was called the Red, Bus, uh, the, or the Red Bull Stress Test that challenged them both mentally and physically, it was said. Of course, when I hear Red Bull stress test, I imagine a bunch of people just kind of sitting around pounding can after can until somebody's heart gives out. But obviously, it wasn't that. Um, so first, they were split into four teams. They had to dig out a 330-pound tire that was chained to an anchor deep in the sand on a beach, uh, either by you know digging it out or cracking the code on a padlock. Uh, then they had to drag, then flip, then carry, then push this tire four lengths of the pitch while at the same time keeping a bunch of sandbags off the ground at all times. And then every now and then somebody started kicking highballs at them that they had to field, you know, without messing it up. And so once th this competitive element was completed, the, you know, the team on team competition, the players then came together as a whole for another huge task to pull a 9.5 ton truck the entire length of the field, which included going through one water-filled trench section. 
So as John Clark, England's head of strength and conditioning, says, quote, one of the big aspects of our training is problem solving, or we call it the key episodes in games. So we know in these bits, they're going to have to solve problems in certain scenarios. We train certain scenarios on the field where they have to sort problems, but underneath that is just putting them into different situations where they have to solve problems all the time. Wow, that's a lot of solve the problems. Uh, and I think that's what the Red Bull Challenge did, unquote. So I found this article on the Rugby World website, which I have linked in the show notes. There's also a video of the day, definitely worth watching. My only complaint is, so they edited this whole thing down to like a cozy 10 minutes, and I assume that's because most people have teeny tiny attention spans these days, but uh, you know, I would have much preferred to have watched the entire thing. And Obviously, I do not recommend normally videos touting England, but this one I guess was worth making an exception. Check it out. So that brings us to our reviews, and we're going to start with the NPC, and man oh man, how good was it to have these two matches right in a row? NPC, I am fully won over. I'm already looking forward to next year. You know, with all the cancellations and rescheduled fixtures, all the other turmoil, it didn't feel like we really got the full deal this year, but nonetheless, it was spectacular, and I'm, I'm sure the, the players feel the same way. Anyway, first up, we had the championship final, which had Taranaki facing Otago. What an incredible day for a match. It, it just looked absolutely gorgeous out because it's effectively May there, as far as my own seasons are concerned. I haven't seen sunlight even at that angle or that bright in what seems like a month and a half, and I'm pretty sure that's not exaggerating. Um it was just gorgeous. What a day for a final. So right off the bat, it seemed like both teams were a bit nervous. Lots of unforced errors um, off of play that was a little too fast and a little too loose. And um, Taranaki converted their first try just before five minutes had elapsed, immediately answered by Otago, and it remained tied until Taranaki scored and converted another right at the uh, quarter mark to make it 14-7. to seven. Some big hits in this game, including... Native Kiwi Josh Honek, who I remember playing for Gloucester. Uh, I think he was there from 2016 to 2020. He is a serious customer. It's good to see him out there folding people up for Otago. Um, they just posted a stat saying that the offload count is 13 to 0 in favor of Taranaki. That seems mind-boggling, but that's all where you know that's where all the momentum seems to be in this half. So Taranaki added a pen before the former. Former Diamond and the Ruck recipient Josh Iwani set up a beautiful try for Otago, though he would then miss the extras. So Taranaki scored their third try with about a minute and 40 left to go before the break. Uh, the conversion went wide. Josh Honek got what he dealt out earlier and more, getting absolutely smashed to bring the first end, uh, first half to an end. The score was 22-12 to 12 at that point. Uh, things to, to me at this point, I said, don't look positive for Otago. They were my pick leading into this. Uh, but there's a reason Taranaki was the home team, I think. So in any event, a penalty and another converted try in the first 10 minutes of the second half, and things are looking bleak for Otago. Up 32-12, to 12, Taranaki started to get a little cocky. They started piling up some penalties, added a yellow card, sort of daring Otago to climb back into the match. To the surprise of no one, Joshuani scored a try via a brilliant line, just like a, a hot knife through butter, converting as well to trail by 13 at that point. By the way, the comms have been identifying two people as Josh Dixon for this entire match, and nobody seems to have noticed but me. The number four and the number five, who I'm pretty sure is actually Josh Dixon, have both been not just referred to verbally, but with graphics on the screen indicating both men are in fact the same person. So that would be quite a trick. I, I would, you know, if anyone's going to do this, it's New Zealand, right? Anyway, at the end of what is effectively the third quarter, the score did remain 32 to 19. 
And again, the score didn't move for a while. Around 65 minutes, it's clear that Taranaki's new plan is to just slow it down and don't let them play. By 70 minutes, they're going full Anaconda. And my pick, Otago, were absolutely shown up. The, the result was maybe expected, not by me, but maybe expected by most. Uh, and the match did end with sort of a whimper rather than a bang with nothing scoring in the last 20 minutes or so. 32 to 19, I mean, give Tasman credit for that extra defense to just lock it down there. Congratulations to Taranaki. What a great season you had, despite a ton of adversity. Uh, really well done. I imagine there'll be an appropriately raucous party for you all tonight. Very well done. So then, of course, the season was capped off by the Premiership Final with Waikato versus Tasman. And holy cow, it was incredible. So in the first 20 minutes, there was there was just a lot of kicking, tons of turnovers, uh, only one penalty kick on the scoreboard, so it was three to nothing to Waikato. A lapse in concentration by this boys, and uh, Tasman got a beautiful try converted by Mitch Hunt for their first lead. So it was three to seven at the thirty-minute mark. And uh, quote, "You can start to sense the frustration keeping creeping in for Waikato," says the comms. Uh, unquote. Um, but then, ooh, a length of the field breakaway try for Balen Sullivan and an easy conversion for ten-seven at the thirty-five mark. Uh, Tasman then tied it up. Waikato took it back after the second uh, after the sound of the half hooter. So it was thirteen to ten going into the break, just back and forth and back and forth. Who's going to have the lead next? Six minutes into the second half, Tasman tied it up again, but almost immediately, Sullivan uncannily repeats his first half try, almost the length of the field again. It's twenty to thirteen heading into the final twenty minutes. Then, Quentin Strange is there a better name? By the way, he powers over at the sixty-six minute mark after a few almost scores by both sides. It is tied at 20. Almost immediately, Waikato get another opportunity and kick the penalty to go back ahead 23 to 20 at the 72-minute mark. And despite some absolutely furious back and forth, including one or two legit opportunities for the Mako to tie it up or retake the lead, that was where the score was going to remain. Waikato getting an historic win and their first title since 2006, only their third ever. Just an incredible nail-biter of a, a match. A supreme way to cap off this great year, despite all the issues we, we've talked about many times. Special shout out to Bowden Waka, who came in to help secure the victory around the 65th minute and was, you know, he didn't get his hand on the ball too much, but they, he did what they needed him to do, as always. I just, I can't wait to have him back here in the States and showing off his new level of skills and experience for my beloved Free Jacks. Bowden, whoo, you deserve that one and you are the man. They're going to get one shot at the three-feet here, Tasman. If I was Tasman, I would give the ball to Levi Omoa as many times as possible. So McDonald, will Waikato contest the line-out? Oh, it's a loose one. Not going to be denied. Mitch Jacobson puts it into touch. And in their 100th year, Waikato are the champions of New Zealand rugby. Look at the energy, 100 years of storied success. Ranfurly Shields, a factory of All Blacks. 100 years of celebrations, and now, again, your NPC champions. After that, of course, it was on to the final weekend of the Autumn Internationals, starting with Italy versus Uruguay. And I will admit, I only watched the last 20 minutes or so, but it looked really intense. Uh, Las Terros acquitted themselves admirably, they were within a converted try for the entire time I was watching. In the end, an exhausted Italy got the victory 17-10, to 10, ending a 
16-game losing streak. Got to say, I'm I'm happy for them. It's it's been a long time coming. Um, Scotland versus Japan. Uh, well, I did it. I did that thing where I tried to look up the match to figure out exactly what time it would be available for replay. And presto, there was the score. My bad. Gadzooks, so annoying. To me, knowing the outcome, you know, it, it almost entirely spoils any, any point in, you know, or enjoyment in watching. I, I can't believe I did that for the Scotland game of all games. Just rookie move by me. Uh, I guess for the sake of the pod, in the end, I forced myself to watch it anyway. I mean, obviously, I wasn't going to be able to resist. Wasn't that? Wasn't a ton of fun. Some bright moments, but uh, you know, knowing the outcome really put a damper on it. And, and, it also might not have been that fun for people watching it in real time either because they just continued to cough up penalties at the breakdown, seemingly getting the official mad while kind of replicating the Springboks model. We're just going to keep kicking for territory. Eventually, you'll make a mistake. We'll get a penalty. Boom. Line out mall. Try time. It just didn't look like we wanted to play much rugby. and it, I don't know. It felt like an upset right for the taking by Japan. Of course, in the end, it was not. But as I knew ahead of time. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Uh, so we got the demoralizing try at the very end of the first half, the, the, what I usually call the All Blacks try, but I guess we can't call it that anymore. That made it 19-6 at the break. And uh, from there, the huge hits really seemed to wear down the Brave Blossoms. So just before the final 20 minutes, the score was 26-12. to You know, the scrum half for Japan, Nagane, he doesn't come across as particularly dynamic to me. I just, I, I really wonder how much better Japan would instantly be with a world-class nine. You know, so... Anyway, I just think it would elevate them so much because they would get so much quicker ball with better... Anyway, uh, we can dream. Quick example of why I don't like watching games when I know what the score is going to be. So Chris Harris had it within five meters of the try line. It looks incredibly promising for Scotland. I'm like, oh, I'm getting all excited. and But then I realize, oh, wait, I already know for a fact that they only score three more points from here, so it's not going to go anywhere. Oy vey. So the subs pour on at the start of the final 20, and then surprise, a 50-22. And Japan have it knocking on the door with Tatafu scoring a try after getting onto the field about 20 seconds before that. The misconversion kept the lead at two scores, a big relief for nervous Scottish fans at that point. Japan continued to put pressure on Scotland. Another penalty gets Japan to 26-20 just before the 72 mark. Uh, You can feel the collective sphincter of the crowd just kind of clenching. Uh, They're going silent completely when Japan get another turnover. However, a forward pass at the 74th minute, and people start to get their voices back in the seats. Finn Finn Russell really wants to go to the corner with about two minutes to go, but that's why Hoggy is captain. And uh, (laughs) under his tutelage, they go up by nine with less than a minute remaining. Uh, In all seriousness, I I have to say, Finn has been, to me, good rather than great these past couple matches at least, maybe not the whole series, but these last two, good. You know, I'm not saying he's bad, just just not great. But it feels like when he's just okay, suddenly the warts on his kicking game, they seem a lot larger. Uh, it becomes a lot more worrisome because it's points left on the board when the margin's going to be close. Uh, anyway, that last kick, though, that one was too easy, for miss, uh, too easy to miss. And they did close it out. The final score, as I knew ahead of time, was 29-20 at the full-time mark. One quick side note, um, I was glad to see Yavin Sebastian get his first Scottish cap. I remember seeing him as, I, I kind of thought he was a standout on the Scarlets for the last couple of years. 
I remember seeing him in European competitions, I think, more than for the Scarlets for some reason. But, uh, well, for the Scarlets in Europe. I don't know why I picture that. But um, anyway, never hurts to have more depth. Uh, he did play last summer against Tier 2 sides and an England A side. I'm not sure if those were capped tests or not. But uh, in any event, congrats to him. Of course, I cannot move on without mentioning Stuart Hogg getting his 88th cap also took sole possession of the all-time try-scoring record for Scotland. Where would we be without you, Hoggy? Oh, and one last thing. You know, so my buddy John Anderson of the Scottish Rugby Blog podcast, he was at that match. Um, so I was kind of bugging him to send a couple of pictures and stuff, which he did. And then, of course, I went and complained to him about the coverage here. Because um, So when the broadcast started in the way I was able to see it, right, the broadcast starts, and what you hear immediately is the very last note of the Flower of Scotland sort of just fading out and like reverberating out away. And then the first thing the comms say is, wow, you know, that that's just so special. You know, when the piper stops and the crowd takes over, well, it's just, it's just so special. It makes this whole – it makes it a whole different thing. It's incredible. In other words, they were rhapsodizing about the very thing they had just prevented me from watching. It, it was almost like they were rubbing our noses in it, right? So, so then – Top man that he is, John said, well, maybe I have something. And then I got the video of exactly that from within the stadium. Chills. And by the way, the singing is a lot more comprehensible from the seats as well. John, thank you so much. You are the best. And then, of course, we got England versus South Africa. The final rematch from the last Rugby World Cup. Great start to this one. Not a surprise, of course. Both sides with just a ton of energy, a ton of aggression. Uh, when Tuilagi scored the opening try, he clearly tweaked an already heavily strapped hamstring. Not good to see him limping off the, out of the try zone. And indeed, Max Malins is in is brought on just immediately. Oh, that was rough. Poor Tuilagi. Uh, soon after, Johnny May had a massive brain fart, just coughing up the ball for no reason at all while trying for a, a quick start of all things. So rough. And then very soon after that, he completely muffed a kick. And, you know, you can already see the confidence just draining from his face but his teammates almost every single one of them to a man came over and gave him the hey you're good you're good it was it was nice to see i guess for england um box ended up with three and then it's seven to three around 15 minutes in uh freddie stewart smashes through for another england try and marcus smith still can't miss from the tee i think it's it's nine in a row he's made this autumn nations it's 14 to three and oh god that started the swing low chorus so incredibly annoying uh, the, the teams exchanged penalties, Marcus Smith getting his 10th in a row, and we're at 17-6 to six at 25 minutes with a beautiful strike from way out there by Andre Pollard to follow. Not long after, he struck again, and at 17-12 to 12 at 33 minutes, the momentum seeming to just swing back and forth, but gradually towards South Africa, I thought at the time. Uh, so it looked like Kyle Senkler had decided to pick on Ox. Uh, it looked like he was trying to get a rise out of him. It looked like it almost worked. Could we say that he singled him out? Sorry, sorry. I should probably take that back. Note to self, delete that. No, I'm going to leave it. Um, anyway, it looked like it might have worked until he absolutely folded the number. This is uh, Ox. He just destroyed the England number eight. And suddenly the conference was all back in his face. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. What was I thinking there for a second? Uh, also, quick note, uh, it seems like the very slippery pitch is serving as like an extra defender for the English at this stage. And so after some more sloppiness, they have another line out deep in Buck territory. Some more sloppy back and forth. Half ends with the English still up by five. In the second half, Andre missed a chance for another three. And at 44 minutes, you know, trouble with Pollard's kicking right now. Uh, I wonder if his confidence is going. Um, 
And at 44 minutes, on comes the replacement front row. I, I'm really surprised they didn't come in at like the 39 minute or the 38 minute before the half like they did last time. That seems to have really worked. But anyway, this time they came in at 44. Quote, he is really vast, is Malcolm Marks. <laughs> Unquote, opines the commentator. And that's a big 10-4, good buddy. Uh, Andre misses another one as Joe Marler, fresh from his chicken rung, comes in uh, at the 48-minute mark. Apparently, Ben Youngs was in the game, unbeknownst to me. And uh, Quirk goes in for him soon after that. Literally didn't notice Ben Youngs once the whole game. Things were getting chippier and chippier. And uh, as they mentioned in the broadcast, the tie to the set pieces seems to be turning in favor of the Springboks. England are at 10 penalties to the box four. And then... Hey, lucky viewers, Flo decided to drop in an off-air flash screen with the word Los Angeles inexplicably just written across it, accompanied by a loud, incessant beeping for the next eight minutes. So once again, guys, well done. There's apparently no pooch you will not screw. So when the broadcast did return, South Africa had finally gotten the three they'd missed twice in a row. And at the 58-minute mark, the score was 17-15. to 15. Man, oh man, what a great matchup. I love this contest. Ugh. Then England make an heroic play to hold up a try over the line, and that activates the swing low people again. What a nightmare. The penalty count is now at 15-14. to 14. How are they leading and how are they not been cards? After another uh, controversial call, in this case not issuing a card, but with the resulting penalty, uh, Yanchi's slot the first lead of the match, 17 to 18 for the Springboks, and you know this one's going to the wire. Of course, just as soon as I jotted that down, boom! England make it look easy with a breakaway try for Rafi Quirk, and after the conversion, it's England back on top. Quote, they have 14 minutes to save this test match and to save their world number one ranking, unquote, say the comms, and as expected, it's incredibly tense. Penalty number 16 finally gets the English a yellow card. Will that be the difference? Okay, probably not. Shortly thereafter, Malpimpi finally gets one for himself, but it's right in the corner, and Elton hooks it left. It's it's 24 to 23 to the home side with 10 minutes left. The immortal Franz Stein regains the lead for the Springboks, but almost fittingly, Marcus Smith ends up slotting the winning penalty to make the final score 27 to 26 to the home team, and I think I just threw up in my mouth. On to Wales versus Australia. The Aussies, they looked like they were set to overwhelm the Welsh just with pure energy to start. They scored a really early try. They seemed brimming with confidence. Kellaway racks up yet another try. I, I, I put here on, on my notes, setting the record, I think. They didn't mention it in the broadcast. I was pretty sure this one was going to put him over the record. So maybe I remember wrong. You know, so, Oh, uh, BKR Sport, let me know what the deal is with that. After Wales get a penalty, it's 3-7 to seven at 13 minutes. A red card at the 15-minute mark, and we see Valentini very sincerely attempting to apologize, but Wales are having none of it. Uh, bigger takes and makes the game, uh, the penalty. It becomes 6-7 to seven at that point before Australia get another penalty shot, and JOC makes it, so it's 6-10 to 10 at the end of the first 20 minutes. Then another card, with Kurt Lee Beale getting sent off to think about what he's done for 10 minutes. And Wales have a two-man advantage, immediately scoring and converting a try in the corner, trimming the lead to 13-10. to 10, Or, I'm sorry, uh, taking the lead 13-10. to 10. Another JOC penalty to tie it up before a really tough shot of Kellaway getting badly hurt. It, it looked bad. I, I hope he's back and fit soon. What a player. And like I said, he's either right at the edge of or just over a record. You know, good luck to him. Please get back soon. The sides exchanged penalties again, going to halftime 16-13 to 13 for the Welsh. In any event, then 
there was what I wrote, what I described as a, as a bizarre, why weren't you guys paying attention? Try for Wales. And suddenly it's 23 to 13 for Wales at, you know, just 45 minutes. But then Lewis Rees-Zammett, Lewis Rees-Zammett, he goes limping off, like really limping off. And I feel like every Welsh fan right then thought, I'll take a loss in this game before I'll take a loss of that man. He's He's got to be the most dynamic thing out there right now. Uh, next to my notes, it says, I almost fell asleep over the next 20 minutes, but for the constant sound of whistles blowing. So many infractions. But then, Nick, now that's a spicy pizza, white, scored a belter of a try. And, in the, and early in the final 20 minutes, suddenly it's 23 to 20. Then I honestly had written down, after it became 26 to 20, I wrote, please, let Australia score a try here. Even if it's unconverted, it will seem like a better match. And as if I had summoned this very outcome, presto, that is exactly what happened. Australia are down by a single point with seven minutes to go. What a finish we are setting up. Sure enough, the Aussies kick another three to reclaim the lead, only to have Reese Priestland step up and nail the game winner after the 80th minute had come and gone. Wales seemingly, again, stealing a victory from the jaws of defeat in Cardiff. Wow, I, I got to find out how Welsh fans are feeling about this right now. It looks like they're just stealing these things rather than winning them outright. And I, are you like, yep, that's us, or I don't know how to feel about that right now, but what a match, what a weekend. And then, oh boy, oh boy, we went to Paris for France versus New Zealand. This was, of course, my pick of the week, and I think I might have gotten more than I bargained for with this one. <sighs> sometimes I have the ability to see something coming, even though I'm not an expert at analysis by any means, but every now and then I get a feeling and it's just so right. My very first notes for this game said, quote, between the all blacks wearing white, ugh, I hate that look. And Sam Whitelock's all grunt rendition of their national anthem. It seems to me the all blacks are determined to lose this one, unquote. And while I was obviously semi kidding about the reasons, Ooh, I was right about the result. I honestly don't know what's wrong with New Zealand right now. Something definitely is not clicking. If you're a regular listener, you'll be aware of my sort of fraught relationship with this team. So when they win big, I complain about it being boring. When they win a, a good match, I'm like, yeah, there, we, there they go. Good job. And then when they lose, I feel shocked and totally discombobulated. It's very strange. I'm not sure how to merge these things or, <laughs> I don't know, parse them out. But uh, anyway, it's an odd sensation to be sure. So I don't want to spend this segment talking about the Kiwis, however, as France, to their credit, absolutely brought it. The ferocity they can bring to the table, it's its unnerving at times. And New Zealand obviously struggled to match it. The combination of DuPont and Entomac, I mean, is there a more terrifying pair of people to see out on any field at any time? Now, because this was the match I was most looking forward to, I intentionally put the pen and paper away and resisted taking notes as much as I could just so I could watch and enjoy. So I'm going to borrow a little quick wrap-up I found elsewhere. And I'm going to put that little link in the show notes as well. Actually, it also has um, external links from it that will give you lots of coverage. It's great. So France held off a second half fight back from New Zealand to claim a 40-25 to victory in Paris and end a 14-match losing streak against the All Blacks. New Zealand, looking for an immediate response to last week's 29-20 to loss to Ireland, trailed 24-6 to at halftime as a rampant Les Bleus took complete control at the Stade de France. However... Three tries in 12 minutes after the interval from Jordi Barrett, Rico Ioanni, and Artie Savia saw New Zealand close to within two points of their hosts, 27-25, to 
as well as becoming the first team in test match history to score 100 tries in a single season. Yeah. Uh, I, how many of those were from DC? Anyway, at that point, uh, French hopes of a first win over the three-time World Cup winner since 2009 looked to be fading fast, but an incident at the 36 minute saw the pendulum swing back their way. I don't even, I gotta say, I'm not quite sure what incident there. Oh, uh, it's this incident. It's Ardi Savia, sin binned to reduce New Zealand to 14 men, and France were like, oh, that's it. They took a full advantage with, uh, I think it's Melvin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How many people in rugby are named Melvin? Melvin Jaminet, he slotted over the resulting penalty before Damien Penno broke away for an interception try. So at 37 to 25 down, there was just no way back for New Zealand and France, who had seen uh, uh, Movaka score twice, either side of Roman Antimatic's try in a dominant first half display, wrapped up a memorable win. With Jaminet's late penalty, 40 to 25 was the tally at full time. I'm shocked. Uh, a little more on this later. Interesting stuff. And then on Sunday, it was time for Ireland versus Argentina. Of course, the Pumas were looking to shock Ireland and end their seven-game winning streak. Uh, maybe they were hoping to get in under the radar there, and they came out really strong. Mateo Carreras stunned the Aviva crowd, scoring a how-did-that-happen try just after three minutes or even just before three minutes. They looked stunned. Every player on the field, <laughs> every Irish player on the field looked like, was that your guy? Was that your guy? Did that happen? It was strange. But unfortunately for Argentina, that would be the very last scoring of any kind that they would do for this entire autumn. Ireland looked absolutely, they, they just look absolutely frightening right now. And they really piled it on over the rest of the 80. They racked up seven tries, most ever against Argentina, used their dominance in all aspects of the game to take them to a 53-7 to win in Dublin. Between this one and their previous win against the ABs, Ireland, they have to be just brimming with confidence heading towards Six Nations. I only wish we had gotten a look at them against England this series. I think that would have been very informative as well as unbelievably awesome. So here's the thing. I want to take a, a moment. This is the end of this series. It was four weeks. It was kind of up and down. There were strange results. There was unbelievable things, unbelievable matches that you'll never see again, all-time classics. So I want to take a moment just to look at the, the bigger picture because this was kind of an odd weekend, right? So Scotland are favored by 20, which, first of all, never happens. And they're facing off against what seems to be a shell of a Japanese side, but then only win by nine and looked under pressure the whole way. Italy get a win. That in itself is bizarre, but they look super vulnerable to an exciting Uruguay who clearly have their eyes in the next Rugby World Cup. Out of the six matches, two were decided by a single point. Ireland have almost completely under the radar until last week gotten to eight straight wins and have won three of their last five against the no longer invulnerable All Blacks. And those same ABs have dropped two in a row. <laughs> so here's the thing. So I was like, when's the last time that happened? And I, I tried to look it up, tried to look it up. And then eventually I just kind of looked back at their most recent record and realized it, it happened a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Uh, two weeks in a row in November of 2020, they dropped consecutive tests, one to Australia. And then Remember that one? The first ever to defeat, uh, defeat to Argentina. What a game that was. So with these matches and when you get these limited exposure of these teams against this, this team plays this team and therefore this team is better than this team, it, it's just always tempting to try to apply the transitive property to these results. But of course, no such principle holds true in international sport. So in the last few months, I've been here claiming that France will be the favorites heading into the 2023 Rugby World Cup, 
And they indeed look very strong, and their players will continue to mature over the next 22 months or whatever it is now. Of course, Ireland are much better than I thought. England looked dead set on avenging their crushing defeat last time around. And meanwhile, New Zealand looks severely wounded right now and, and limited and, and just not clicking. But does that mean they have the exact amount of time they need to figure it out, to right the ship and get back to where they usually are? Ugh, this next Six Nations, it's going to be an all-time cracker. And the, the next year or year and a half, it's going to be an amazing sort of slow burn of a lead up to France. I shouldn't even be excited about it this early, but I, I just can't help it. Oh, and also, last little bit, anyway, I actually see on the world calendar, there were several other tests that happened this weekend, and they just weren't available to me. They were all on Saturday, and they included Brazil versus Kenya, Russia versus Chile, Poland versus Switzerland, and Zimbabwe versus Namibia. If any of my lovely listeners out there have any insights into those fixtures, drop me a line, let me know. I'm always keen to know more. Thanks so much. Okay, of course, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the award goes to Antoine Dupont. That's right, the scrum half slash wizard, who looks like a spitting image puppet brought to life by the rugby gods themselves, was absolutely incredible on offense and defense. And taking down the dreaded All Blacks for the first time since June of 2009 must have been the perfect birthday present for the 25-year-old who turned that age just five days prior. Dupont beat eight defenders in the contest, the most since Cheslin Colby's 11 back in the last Rugby World Cup. Monsieur Dupont, for helping lead your team to an amazing upset win. You are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Bon chance. Okay, and of course, let's now look ahead to our next week with our previews. So, the Premiership. Swings back into action. Oh, I suddenly got sad. There's so much less rugby next week. Okay, but there's good stuff. There's good stuff. Uh, anyway, I expect we'll see many of the top international players maybe taking this week off to rest and recover from the autumn test, but we'll see. In any event, it is a full slate starting with four matchups on Friday the 26th. Really surprised that usually the Prem gives you the one Friday and then I guess four Saturday and one on Sunday, if I remember right. But uh, front-loading this time, four matchups on Friday, including... Bath hosting Exeter, Bristol at home for Northampton, Newcastle welcoming the Worcester Warriors, and the Wasps will also be at home to face the Charing Whites from Gloucester. That leaves only the two fixtures on Saturday, with Harlequins taking on London Irish at the Twickenham Stoop, and Saracens hosting hosting sale at a place I've never heard of called Stone X Stadium. I feel like there should be an echo on that. Um, th so that's a new one on me. M maybe it's a new sponsor. I bothered to look it up, and I see they've been playing at this place since 2012. Did I just somehow miss hearing this name for years now? I don't know. Maybe it's just a new sponsor. Maybe I'm an idiot. Of course, the URC also goes back to your regularly scheduled programming with one Friday night match featuring Connacht welcoming Ospreys to Galway Bay. As I've said before many times, the sports ground, ugh, that's where Connacht play. That is my favorite venue in the URC. It's so beautiful, but I'm told often very difficult for the players. Of course, on Saturday, the Stormers will host Zebre, and by the looks of it, they're actually playing in South Africa, which I had thought had been shelved for the time being. I thought all the so-called South African home matches had moved to Italy, so I'm sure that they're going to be so excited to be home rather than playing you know, their de facto home game in Rome or Milan. 
So does anyone listening, do you know if they're going to have crowds? If you're in the know, drop me a line. I'm always curious to, to, to find out how this is going to go. In any event, we will also have Benetton hosting Glasgow, the Sharks uh, hosting Scarlets, the Dragons versus Edinburgh. That should be a good one, actually. Um, the Bulls versus Munster. I expect Munster to uh, to wipe them up. And the obvious game of the week, Leinster hosting Ulster. Ooh, that's going to be tough on you, Ulster. And, of course, you, you're still not going to have your precious new expensive toy because he's, I think, going to be playing for the Barbarians that day. Finally, on Sunday, the Lions will be home to host Cardiff to wrap up the weekend. As I mentioned last week, and, and just now, there will be a Barbarians match against Samoa. That's on the 27th at Twickenham. But at this moment, I just have no idea if it's going to be available to watch here in the States. I looked it up. I saw a listing for BBC iPlayer, but I know that doesn't work here, so I'm still at a loss. If I find anything else out, I will be sure to let you know. Well, my friends, wow, what an incredible four weeks. That was a great window of autumn tests. Whew, I'm exhausted. That was a lot of rugby. So, to all of you, especially my new listeners all over the globe, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. If you haven't done so yet, please do so. It's easy to get in touch. You can use Twitter. I'm at Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. And I'm always checking my email, thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end. That's always wonderful and really helps spread the pod to other listeners. And if you like what you're doing here, there are a couple ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. So, as always, thank you so much for coming along. Thank you to all of you all across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, Nate. <laughs>